0: Sorry. This is the first time I've this is the first time I've used this lapel mic. And I see now I see if I turn it off. Okay, is that any better? Maybe not so much rustling. wrestling. Oh goodness. <laughs> Welcome everybody. Um, It's lovely to see all of you here at IMS. Gosh, it's a full house. Well, I knew that. I did the room (laughs) chart. What am I saying? My name is Libby, and I'm the retreat manager, uh, which means I try to coordinate this ship of many, many departments and uh, help support you in this journey that you're about to take. As you know, our center here is about 32 years old. We were purchased from the Catholic Church in 1976 by a group of hardy... um, um, returning, some of them Peace Corps volunteers, who brought back this wonderful meditative practice. and I think this, the story is that they paid about $150,000 for it. It's grown to about from about 84 acres to a little over 200 now. And uh, hopefully you'll have a chance to look around and have a good look at it while you're here. I think you know you're entering a silent retreat. If you don't, you might be in the wrong place. <laughs> Uh, but the silence will begin with the teachers, and they'll they'll talk about the importance of the silence um, this evening. We run on a kind of note system that's how we we you know make do without uh, talking. Uh, you've probably been introduced by the tour guides and by our greeters to the notes. There's a little wooden box uh, in the foyer with kitchen maintenance and uh, housekeeping. If you have any concerns in any one of those departments, just write up a little note and drop that little note in this slot, and those departments are constantly checking uh, those, those slots to see if there's anything they can do for you. If you have any other concerns other than those departmental concerns, do not write a note to the office. Come in and see us, and, uh, and we'll try to address any of your concerns. The office hours will be posted on the front of the office door. As soon as I leave, I'll put those offices... Hours up there generally in the morning and in the afternoon during a walking period. Emergencies, our system here is that if you have an emergency during the day, you just grab any staff person that you can, and they will help you. But after 5 o'clock in the evening and until breakfast the next morning, we have an emergency system. If you walk into the office, many of you have seen it, you walk into the office and look to your right, there is a red phone. And this phone has a bright light on it. All you need to do if you have a concern or have, need some help is pick up that phone and it will automatically dial the night contact person who's on duty. They have a cell phone and they're always available at night. And that person is Jill Shepherd, who is sitting here in the front of the hall. That's the voice on the other end. May I help you? <laughs> Thank you, Jill. We encourage you to not do any writing and reading and phone calling during this retreat. Uh, Steve and Kamala have given me um, Dharma Hall and retreat etiquette and I'll just go over that and then I'll post it on the bulletin board so it's very clear what they consider appropriate at this retreat center and during their retreat. But a few rules about the, the hall itself. We ask that you not lie down. If you have to lie down, if you have some sort of health concern, please come and speak to us about it in the office and we'll kind of instruct you where you can do that and and how that works. But please don't lounge around. Uh, You don't have to sit rigidly. Obviously, there are a lot of chairs available and a lot more in the back, but uh, we ask that you take only one thing at a time. Obviously, you can't sit two places at the same time, but there are way too many of, of us for you to have a cushion plus reserve a chair. So it's kind of like reserve one thing at a time, and you'll kind of get the feel of it. There are certain people who are always going to be in chairs, certain people always on their cushion, and then there's the floating population, and you're definitely welcome to float. But just it's just not enough for you to, it's, there are not enough places for everybody to take to at the same time. So just be aware of that. And taking it is when you put something, a personal item on it, like your shawl or, or uh, one of your cushions or something, that marks it as yours. You might sometimes see a cushion that doesn't seem to be getting a lot of use, but it's got a shawl on it, and often that's the staff person who's only going to be coming in periodically. So if it has a personal thing on it, the, the idea is that you leave it be. Please do not bring anything to eat or drink into the hall. So no water bottles or cups of tea or anything of that sort. There are plenty of shelves out here in the back, and I think a few in the, uh, the back of uh, in the, the foyer in the back, but there's certainly a lot of shelves in the, uh, in the cloakroom. So, please leave those things outside. Uh, Stephen Conlow really wants you to come on time. So, uh, come when uh, the bell rings and stay for the entire sitting unless you have an emergency. Obviously, if, the, if something comes up that you just have to leave, then you have to leave. But you're encouraged to stay for the entire sitting and um if you cannot make it on time if you've overslept or something like that then if you do not know where m101 is we'd be happy to show it to you it is at the end of guru alley and it's a room with very comfortable chairs and holds 25 or 30 people um, and that's the place to go uh, if you haven't if you if you're going to be late and it's also just a place to go and sit it's a, a very very lovely room to sit in and it's very comfortable so you're welcome to use it anytime it's not being used for something else and occasionally it does get re- used for group interviews, and then a sign will be up there indicating that you can't use it at that time, but most of the time it's available. Um, pretty much everything is posted on the bulletin board, which is kind of the nerve center of the retreat center, and we encourage you not to become obsessed, but you know to glance at it to see if there's anything for you, if there's a note, if something one of your family members or something should happen to call, any kind of an emergency, we would post it there. So it's a good idea to give it a glance um, daily, if not hourly. Read your orange sheet and keep that as long as you uh, like. It really has all the information that I'm going over. And then we ask you to recycle it. Just drop it in the basket there in the foyer. If you've come late uh, this evening and the registration was finished, there are only a few people who, who might have come late, please just come and see us in the morning to finish your registration. We have a very loud fire alarm. If it goes off, you definitely will know it. So it's a good idea always, as you would in any foreign place, take a look to see where the exits are, and you would go out that exit, and everybody would amass on the front lawn. And no one could come back into the building until the fire marshal uh, came and cleared the area because, of course, when the fire alarm goes off, the Berry Fire Department is, you know, on the job, and they'll be up here with their bells and whistles, so... And you must leave the building. You cannot stay in your room. So happily, hopefully, that won't happen. I want to say a little bit about chemical sensitivity. We have tried really hard to make IMS a safe place for people who have environmental illnesses. Uh, We have a special area in our annex, both first and second floor, uh, where special products have been used and where we really, really uh, encourage people to be extremely careful about not wearing any kind of scented products. We have a little yogi needs store, and we have a lot of unscented products. So if you have brought a cream or a soap or something that has scent, please do not use it, uh, and purchase one of these little little products that we have. We have little travel sizes, so you won't be, you know, stuck with something big and huge that you don't want to take beyond. But it'll get you through the retreat, and we really encourage you to use those. Bugs are a little, still a little bit of a problem. There's still quite a few mosquitoes around. We have some. Uh, Uh, bug spray out the front, and we have some for sale in our little Yogi Needs shop, but um, please, you know, almost all of these products have a scent. That's how they work. Uh, Please wash those off before you come, well, you can't do it before you come back into the building, but come back into the building, wash them off before you come into the hall. Our little Yogi Needs shop has gone from um, a little more elaborate system to a very simple self-service. It's at the top of the stairs if you're coming up from the bowling alley, it's just a little closet there. It has Yogi needs shop on it. Just open the door. Um, it's, a, it's a one person at a time. Just you know, get what you need and pay for it in the uh, in the office in the little gray cash box at your you know at your convenience. Our walking areas are um, all over the place. You know, you're welcome to walk any parts of the grounds with two ex- two main exceptions. The South Lawn, if you imagine going straight across the building, where you saw a lot of the staff out in the driveway this afternoon and evening playing a game, that whole area is called the South Lawn, South driveway. We ask that you not go in that area. There's a considerable amount of talking going on there. We have lunch out there. Uh, there's a lot of traffic that goes through there, and that whole South Lawn is really considered staff area, so we ask that you not use that area. And the other area is the little path that runs along the little cottages. There are like four little cottages down the back here. That's also staff area. The path that runs along there, we ask that you not walk along that path. But all the other areas around our grounds where you're really welcome to use as walking meditation areas, it's still really lovely out. Although it does almost feel like fall a little bit. Um, it's, you're certainly welcome to walk the grounds as well, of course, as the, the walking areas throughout the, throughout the complex inside. Um, also, we're sort of famous for our three-mile loop, which is uh, down Pleasant Street and around Bill Road and down Old Stage. It's a pretty easy path to follow. If you want to do a little more, uh, go a little further afield and be a little bit more rigorous. This property is not our property. A lot of that, although Gaston Pond itself belongs to IMS, there's a lot of property along that area that doesn't belong to us. We are asked to not go on other people's property, so please just stay on the the more or less paved road, uh, past the pond and on around. Please do not go into. Not only don't go into other people's property. Do not pet or feed any of the animals that you might meet along the way. We've just had another visit from the dog uh, officer, and he was very, very nice, but really encouraged us because we've had an incident when the, a dog bit someone that you know causes all kinds of hysteria around tetanus shops, etc. It wasn't a vicious dog. It was just a playful thing, but you know it sets the wheels in motion. Uh, it's very tempting to want to stop and pet the horses. Absolutely, do not do that. You know, you're welcome to stop on the road, look in at the horses, but please do not pet or feed any of these animals. It may seem like a very sleepy area, but Pleasant Street is actually quite busy. You'll really notice it, particularly as the week uh, goes on, and especially on Monday. And people go at quite a clip, so please walk against the traffic so that you can see the oncoming traffic, and please, you know, stay on the side of the road. And do not do walking meditation out in the neighborhood. Just do it on the property. It looks really weird to people to see us walking very slowly. So we ask that you not do that when you're walking off of our property. Um, Shower hours are always a bone of contention. I think the longer you sit, the more you wake up earlier and earlier. And you just want to get in there and get cleaned up and get in the hall. Please note the shower hours. They're posted on all the showers. Uh, please only shower during those times. It's an old, these are old, old buildings. The, sh- uh, the The pipes are really noisy. You really impact people that are around the showers. So you know, people may be sleeping or they may be practicing because we really do take the attitude that your room is also your sitting space. And so you, you may want to continue practice there. So please. The rest of us uh, uh, honor those people who want to use their room as a prey, uh, as their sort of meditation hall by not using the, the showers any time other than the hours that we've indicated. And that would go for, like, hair dryers also, that you would only do them during the times that are specified for shower hours. We ask that you not visit the Forest Refuge. The Forest Refuge is our wonderful new center up the hill. Uh, there's a very long-term retreat there. Pai Oksada from Burma is... Uh, here has been there for months. The place is unbelievably quiet and still, and we are not invited to go there. So please give it a very wide berth. At the end of the uh, the retreat, uh, there'll be lots of free material. As you know, we'll we'll also be putting things out for those of you who are leaving on Sunday, Uh, but uh, our books will be for sale, and we'll also be giving you uh, information about how to get um, uh, these talks that are going to be given during this retreat. And we'll do our famous ride coordination. We'll do a mini version on Sunday for those of you who are leaving on Sunday. And then, of course, we'll do a a more extensive one for those of you who are leaving um, on the following Saturday. So just quickly, uh, Stephen Kamala's Rules of Etiquette. Honor noble silence in the hall, on the grounds, and in your room. Do not, do not use cell phones for calls or texting And please do not use computers. If you can't resist, bring them to me. I will safely store them away. Be on time for all sittings and all Dharma talks and instructions. The 8.15 sitting is particularly important. They're going to be doing instructions and some Q&A. Out of respect for the Dharma, please do not lie down, as I've said in the meditation hall, and come to us if you have some concerns about that. Stay for the entire sitting. Leave only in case of an emergency. Turn off anything that beeps. Please refrain from using noisy clothing in the hall like nylon or Gore-Tex. Please allow the teachers to leave first. So just out of respect, just stay seated until they have done their bows and left. If someone beside you is snoring or breathing very loudly, it is okay to lightly tap them on the shoulder and just remind them. Kind of wake them up. Please take it kindly if we need to approach you regarding these or other reminders. Thank you. I'll post this on the board. Are there any questions? One, one, just one thing I want to uh, remind. This is a yogi who is doing the taping here. So if you have any questions about taping, please don't address them to him because he's here on retreat. This is his yogi job. If you have any concerns, please... Speak to us in the, in the office. Yes, in the back. You know, um, Stephen Kamala didn't ask for any practice leaders, but I think they will. But I think they're, they're covered for in the morning, or they would have asked me for it. Thank you, Deborah. But if they, if they do, I'll put up a notice asking if you would like to be a practice leader. That is to ring the bell if the teacher is not here for a particular sitting. So, Yes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. You want to really be sure that you get here for that 8.15 sitting. Okay. Yes? No. no we, we really, it's, it's very creaky. The, the rule is basically that you come on time. We have probably a few more alarm clocks if people are concerned. We've been passing them out all afternoon. Any other questions? Yes, sir. I just the question. I mean, the back end is okay if you're on time. If you're on time, sure. I, I, if, I, may, I may have misunderstood you. Uh, it's not—it's not a way to creep in when you're late, but you certainly can use it otherwise. Absolutely, you probably notice that there's some work going on on our stairs, coming out of the dining room. That whole area is blocked off. So, in the dining room, you can't go use the outside. They're—they're they're redoing those stairs, long overdue, actually. Yes. Toshi, I just don't know. You know, they're, they're new little gizmos, and do you think it's the way I have it on my collar or anything? Or? Okay. You're, you're okay here. You're okay in the back? Toshi's just particularly sensitive. Toshi, I'll, I'll have one of the tech guys have a listen tomorrow. I don't have anybody at my disposal right now. Okay, you can bear with us. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being sensitive. Yes. Can everybody hear? Okay. Good. If if you do have particular I mean, other than you know, if the mic is just not loud enough, the speaker's not loud enough, we do have very good hearing devices, so. Some of you know that and have come in and gotten them, but you're welcome to come in tomorrow. We'd be happy to, to give you one. Yes? I think that would be a question I could ask Steve to address because I, I mean, some teachers really prefer that you do not, so let's ask him. If I catch him as he comes in, I'll ask him to address that. Trying to think if there's anything I've forgotten. I'm running over late a little bit here. Everybody's got their handout. I think that's it. Have a wonderful day.
1: I'd like to welcome everyone. Thank you for taking the time to care for yourselves in this way. And I'd like to acknowledge how uh, challenging it can be sometimes to bring yourselves to a retreat such as this. It's not easy. We're, we're all householders, all of you, all of us that are up here, and we know what it is to be able to uh, take some time away from your work or your schooling, uh, your families, and take three days off to be here, to get here, to be here, or the eight or nine days that you take away from your usual life at home. So thank you very much for all the efforts that you put forth. You know, in this very fast, and complex world it's so important to take time out like this. It hardly makes the balance, uh, I'd like to say truthfully, balancing out the lives that we have at home so fast, so complicated sometimes, that it's really precious and important time that you take here to be simple, to slow down the pace of life a little bit, to take the time to look inside and to really nurture that connection we have with our own hearts and open the heart, train the mind in the ways that we do in retreat here. So at this uh, retreat, as you've probably read and been told, this retreat will be held in silence and it's such a precious time to uh, give ourselves that silence we respect the silence a lot we know that it is most essential for being able to open the heart for being able to see clearly things as they are so thank you for taking the time to do that. I'd like to introduce my colleagues and myself. Uh, I'm Kamala Masters. And uh, Steve and I, Steve Armstrong to my right, we both come from Maui, where we base ourselves. This is our home on Maui. And uh, we're both developing a sanctuary, a hermitage there. And that's a big part of our lives. But we've also been very connected to IMS, this place here, and also to other places in the US and in the world, um, supporting the Dharma as it spread uh, to people like you all over. Steve has uh, been in the monastery in Burma for five years as a monk. He's also been with IMS since, Probably its very inception, about 30 years ago, and has been teaching here for probably 20 of those years and teaching around the world. Um, We share um, grandchildren and a daughter that Steve helped me raise. And so I'm very grateful to be able to teach alongside my partner. On my far right is Deborah Ratner-Helser, and she also has spent time, a long time practicing. She's been a nun in Burma also, which uh, brought her a lot of depth in her practice and understanding her own mind and her heart. And several years ago, she was one of the few that was chosen to do the first teacher training that lasted for five years, a very in-depth training uh, that was uh, done through IMS, through this place here. So she finished that a few years ago, actually, and took time out to um, expand her family. And now she's been with us teaching. Uh, She just finished teaching the um, family course that was just before this, I think. Isn't that right, Uh Debra? And have the happiness of having her uh, beautiful little daughter, Sylvia, here with her, and her husband, Chris, that uh, was also part of the family retreat. So thank you so much again, and um, we're here to serve the Dharma and serve you, and uh, we're wishing you a very wonderful retreat. So I'll hand it over to Steve now, who will continue with the Dharma talk and um, some information that we'll need to have during this retreat.
2: I'd also like to welcome you to um, this opportunity to see your life in greater detail, (laughs) as we say. Um, Like Kamala, I think that uh, awakening to ourselves and taking opportunities like this to really devote our energy to the awakening process is uh, one of the most valuable things you can do in your life. It's not easy but uh, to the extent that we make the effort and carve the time in our life, carve out the time in our life to do it and make the effort, we will get some benefit. There are many ways to really understand what it is that we're doing here. Each of us comes with our own uh, motivation, our own questions, our own interest, our own energy. Some of us have more experience, some of some of you are here for the first time to to hear about the teachings of the Buddha, to practice awareness. And it can, in a survey of all of us here, we would come up with a wide range of reasons and motivations and needs for for doing this. And then within the teachings of the Buddha or within the the bigger uh, basket of just spiritual teachings, there are many ways to talk about what we do and what the benefit is and what the result is or what transpires in practice Uh, from awakening to enlightenment to freedom to healing to uh, just becoming more authentic to become more real to become more grounded to become more balanced. And these are all uh, things that happen uh, as we practice and continue the practice, as we mature in practice, uh, we do all of those things. But I want to speak tonight about uh, one particular way of seeing practice, and that is to uh, recognize that. We come here because we have some level of understanding that there's a potential within us that has not yet been either recognized or fulfilled. And our being here is in some ways a, an acting on our aspiration to to realize that, or to fulfill that, or to become that, or to awaken to it. So what is this aspiration? What is this potential that we sense, or feel, or know about from studies, but maybe have not yet discovered within ourselves? I want to tell a story I want to mention that I have spent time in the monastery in Burma. And I was introduced to the Dharma back in the mid-70s and practiced here at IMS for about uh, 10 years. And then I was doing retreats with the range of teachers that came through here. And at some point, I just realized I really wanted... more. I wanted to know more, I wanted to experience more, I wanted to really get, uh, take it to the limit, if you will. I wanted to really see what, uh, what the mind could do with it or what I could do with it. So I went to Burman, I went to a monastery, and in this uh, meditation center where there were both monks, nuns, and laymen and women like ourselves, there was uh, a schedule, a very rigorous schedule. And breakfast was served at 5.30. But before this breakfast, there was a sitting from 4.30 to 5.30. And so people would get up, and at 4 o'clock they'd get up and they'd go to the hall. And in this particular center, the women would sit in their own meditation halls, and the men would sit in theirs, and the monks would sit in theirs. And, you know, about 4, at about 5.15 or so, the, It was getting close to breakfast, and up at the top of the hill um, was a large women's meditation hall. And in that sitting before breakfast, at the end of the sitting, the women would all start chanting the refuges and the precepts. And the refuges are taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and the precepts are the community agreements to not harm by killing, stealing, sexual misconduct. Etc. and sometimes in this hall there were a few hundred or sometimes a thousand or more 1200 women and they'd start chanting and when Burmese women chant the refuges and precepts they are very devout they're very energetic and they're loud and they're chanting and they get into their chant and it's you know they're into it for you know uh, a few seconds or 30 seconds And then there's another meditation hall just down, halfway down the hill. It's a two-story meditation hall with women, 500 on each floor. So on one floor would start chanting, and they're 30 seconds behind the first hall, so it's a little bit dissonant, but it's it's vigorous, it's enthusiastic. And they'd start chanting, and a few seconds later, the other hall would start chanting, and then there'd be a hall of 800 or 1,200 men. They'd start chanting, and monks. Sometimes there were... You know, up to two or three, 4,000 people chanting just this extraordinary, heartfelt uh, faith, with, with their faith, this aspiration that they have to find refuge in the Buddha, to find refuge in the Dharma, and to find refuge in the Sangha. It was hair-raising. It was just so powerful to just stand there in the early morning dawn, and to hear this, and it awoke in me uh, an understanding, or it revealed to me an understanding that this yearning that we have to be more ourselves, to be more in touch with ourselves, to awaken to the truth, to be free, is universal. What you feel, and what you aspire to, comes from these deep roots in the mind that men and women have felt and acknowledged and acted on for at least 2,500 years or more. And every day, thousands, millions of men and women acknowledge this yearning in their heart and this confident exploration through practice to awaken. And I just saw how timeless it is for, for beings at the time of the Buddha, 2,500 years ago, to take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma Sangha, for men and women, whether they're in Asia or here in Barrie, Massachusetts, 2,500 years later, it's the same thing. It's the same uh, urge, urging in the heart, the same uh, aspiration that we have Uh, As men and women throughout history. And it's just a very powerful call to uh, awaken. And in in being in the monastery in Burma, it was a great relief. I'd never traveled out of the country. Burma was not only a foreign country, it was foreign. You know, different language, different climate, different behavior, different clothes. Everything was different about it. But in the embrace of that community of like-minded people aspiring to awaken, I felt totally at ease. Just like, oh, this is, they're no different than I am. Even though I couldn't speak with them, I didn't understand them, I didn't know the conditions of their life, I knew that there was something in their heart that I had in my heart. And in that way, I felt very safe and I felt very uh, confident and I felt a lot of um, appreciation for practicing in that community of people. This taking of refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha is really an acknowledgement of our aspiration. It's the direction we're going with our practice. So I want to speak about what it means to take refuge in the Buddha, what it means to take refuge in the Dharma, what it means to take refuge in the Sangha, so that when we chant the refuges each morning, as we will in the sitting before breakfast, it's not just a kind of a ritual, a meaningless ritual for you, but it can really be something that reminds you of what you're doing here and the potential a benefit of what you're doing, the universality of what you're doing, and it can really be a support for uh, your practice. Initially, we take refuge in the Buddha. Now, the Buddha, for those of you who know, or those of you who don't, may not know, the Buddha was a human being, just like us. Born into the world, happened to be born into a a king's family, so he was a prince, and grew up uh, doing the things that princes did at the time, 2,500 years ago. And at some point in his early adult life, he felt some level of curiosity and discontent with even all that he had as a prince, And he left his father's palace and he went on a spiritual journey. And for six years he practiced very, uh, at times demanding, austere, ascetic practices as was the tradition in that day. And he learned from all of the best teachers and he learned everything that uh, they had to offer and he understood within himself that that was not freedom. That was not liberation. And so he then wandered on and undertook his own practice and came to his own understanding, his own realization of what he really understood to be the, the sure heart's release, where the heart is just freed from all forms of constriction and limitation and was free. Again, there's, there are whole histories of the Buddha and the journey that he took to awaken. But by any measure, any standard, what this human being did is just extraordinary. For any of you who have had taken the opportunity to look at your own mind for a, a day, an hour, a, a retreat, or a decade or two, and you've looked at your own mind, you have some sense, you just get a glimpse of what's involved in freeing the mind from its limitations and its obsessions and its compulsions. And so when we imagine or when we can understand what it was that the Buddha did, we can see this is pretty extraordinary. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, what is it that we're actually doing? Well, there's a few different perspectives to Keep in mind, one is that the Buddha was a human being and we can take refuge in that historical human being. And what it means to take refuge in that historical human being is that here's someone like us, younger than many of us at the time, 29, between 29 and 35. Here's someone who undertook a spiritual practice, fulfilled that practice, Realize the truth and free his heart. We don't have to just consider it good theory. It happened. Uh, How do we know that? Well, we know it from the record of what he taught. We know it from the uh, tradition of the teachings that have been passed down to us and the guidance that we receive from those who practiced as the Buddha practiced. And so we don't have to think that, oh, this is a superhuman thing that we're doing. We don't have to think that this is just for... Uh, you know, hermits in a cave, or ascetics at the top of the mountain, or only for people 2,500 years ago. It's for human beings of any age, like us, who want to awaken. So it's, it, it, is, it is possible. You know, there's no condition in our life that prevents us from awakening. So no matter what what we face, no matter how challenging it gets, no matter how confusing or painful or fearful or whatever, the Buddha saw this. The Buddha saw this, the Buddha handled this, the Buddha disentangled his heart from that level of confusion and suffering, and so can we. And so just remembering that, and when you get up against the wall with something that's really challenging in your life or in your sitting... You know, I'm not the first person to see this. You know, I won't be the last person to see this. There's a way through this. There's a way to come to terms with this and just reminding yourself, oh, let me just take refuge in the Buddha. If the Buddha could do it, I can do it. Something like that. So there is this historical human being, the Buddha, that we can find a sense of guidance from feel guided by. Another perspective on taking refuge in the Buddha is that the Buddha, it's said that um, one time the Buddha was you know, walking, down the, walking down the road and in his extraordinary radiance and purity of mind and gentleness of behavior and clarity of being, Another uh, spiritual seeker on the the way uh, saw him and said, hmm, this guy's, something peculiar about this guy. So he said to the Buddha, hey, uh, well, in our language, hey, dude, uh, what's going on? You look pretty mm, radiant or something like that. And uh, are you you an angel? Uh, And the Buddha said, no. Are you a saint? He said, no. Are you a, kind of a mystic? No. Are you a magician? No. Well, what are you? And the Buddha said, I'm awake. I'm awake. I'm just awake to the way it is. I'm awake to the world. I'm awake to my life. I'm awake to this moment. And that's what the Buddha is. The Buddha means one, the one who is awake. We all have that potential. We can be awake in any moment. We can be fully present, open to, accepting, and acknowledging, oh, this is the way it is right now. This is the way it is in the body. This is the way it is in the mind. This is the way it is in the environment. This is the way it is in our interpersonal relationship. And we can be fully cognizant, aware, and awake to that. That capacity is the nature of the Buddha. That's it. We have that potential within us all the time. For us, however, it's often hidden. It's often covered up, and it often isn't realized because we're caught up in some drama or some obsession or some fantasy or some, you know, our minds are off in la-la land, and we're not fully present with with this moment. And so we can't really say we're awake, but the potential is there. When we take refuge in the Buddha, we're taking refuge in that potential within the mind, this mind, the mind that we experience. The potential is there and we take refuge in it, even if we're having a difficult time with it right now. We just remind ourselves, no matter what is going on, we can be awake to it. If we turn our mind in a way that's opening, receptive, acknowledging, tolerant, no matter what it is, how difficult, how painful, how scary, how exciting, how thrilling, how distracting, we can be awake to it. We can be aware of it and we can find a way to come into balance with it. And this is all that the Buddha did with everything that came up in the mind. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, we take refuge in that potential and our aspiration to realize that potential in each moment. So again, taking refuge is acknowledging our aspiration to become Buddha-like, awake. The third element of taking refuge in the Buddha is Because the Buddha is the one who is awake, and we have this potential within us at each moment, it encourages us to acknowledge what it is that we're aware of in each moment. That's it. Whatever we find ourselves feeling, thinking, remembering, planning, Experiencing, sensing, intuiting, imagining. It's okay. It's okay. There's nothing off limits, so to speak. There's nothing out of bounds of awareness. It's all fair game for acknowledging. And we can do that. We have permission to, be, to acknowledge everything that's going on in our life everything that's going on in our experience. And so to take refuge in the Buddha means to to reaffirm our aspiration to be able to acknowledge everything. That's all. Everything in its own time, I might add. Sometimes things get painful, or sometimes things are scary, or sometimes things are shameful, or sometimes we feel self-conscious or embarrassed or you know, angry or frustrated and we can't really open to it. But that's okay. That happens too. But when we take refuge in the Buddha, we remind ourselves that we are aspiring to awaken. So in this way taking refuge in the Buddha, it's not so much praying to uh, a deceased person. It's not imagining some being of light that we're trying to absorb into. It's not giving our power over to another person to take care of us, but rather it is acknowledging the potential within us and our aspiration to realize that for ourselves. So if you can recall that or remember that as we take the refuge in the Buddha, then it can uh, inspire you to Engage the present moment with awareness. One of the amazing things about the Buddha uh, is that after his awakening, he didn't retreat to a cave in the Himalayas somewhere just to kind of live out his life in kind of solitude and disengaged bliss, but instead he stayed engaged with the world, established an order of monks and nuns, and taught for 45 years. There isn't anybody who could do that without running into a lot of hassle. And the Buddha was hassle. There were people just giving him a hard time all the time, questioning and challenging and testing him. And trying to harm him and accusing him and blaming him and just giving him, well, sometimes he must have just wanted to go of retreat to the cave. But no, he stayed engaged with everything that came to him in his life out of compassion. Out of compassion for the suffering of men and women that are caught in their limited minds. And so, to me, it is a lesson for me, and I'll share it with you, that this practice of looking at your life, looking at your mind, looking at your body, looking at your, your fears, your joys, your sorrows, your ambitions, your jealousies, your envies, all that, is a supreme act of compassion for yourself. We do this because, well... We suffer. We suffer from loneliness, we suffer from anxiety, we suffer from depression, we suffer from fear, we suffer from you know, feeling deprived and self-conscious. There's many, many, many ways that we suffer, both very obvious and gross and very subtle and, and unobserved. And it is because of that suffering that the Buddha taught. Stayed engaged with the world and all of the challenges that people could present and for each one of us to understand that the work that we do here, whether it's painful, pleasant, uh, familiar, novel, subtle, gross, it's out of compassion for our own limitation, our own lack of understanding that we do it. And if we can put our practice and our efforts in that perspective that we're doing it out of compassion for ourselves and the suffering, our suffering and the suffering of others, then uh, whatever we do is beneficial. The second uh, refuge is taking refuge in the dharma. And dharma means many things. The dharma is a big word. Uh, Sometimes it's a small d dharma, and sometimes it's a big d dharma. So I want to kind of tease it apart a little bit and kind of expose what it means to take refuge in the Dharma. The Dharma means three things that I want to speak about. The first is the way things are, the truth, the truth of it. The truth of this moment, uh, the way things are in this moment, that's the Dharma. I'll speak more about that. But the second second meaning of the word Dharma is... The teachings of the Buddha. The Buddha taught the Dharma. The Buddha taught pointing to the truth, pointing to the way things are. And the whole body of the teachings of the Buddha is called the Dharma. And the third meaning for the arena of the word Dharma is this moment's experience. Whatever you experience in this moment, boredom, tiredness, excitement, curiosity, pain in the knee, they're all dharmas. So Let me explain that a little bit. So the first is the, the way things are. The dharma is the way things are, the truth. We're not here because of accident. We're here because of an extraordinarily complex conjunction of conditions coming together to create this opportunity to hear and share and practice the Dharma. Some of us for a weekend and some of us for for eight days. There are so many causes and conditions coming together to make this happen that no one of us is pulling the strings. We've all had our part. We're all contributing our uh, interest and our energy and our decision. But there are just hundreds, if not more, people working in the background, on the sidelines, have been for, well, 30-some years here to create this place. We don't even know them. We don't know all that has gone into our being here in this moment. This moment is the unfolding of both personal and impersonal conditions, which we can't see. That's just the way it is. Taking refuge in the Dharma is taking refuge in the fact that whatever we're experiencing right now, it's not an accident. It's not something wrong with it. It's not, supposed, it's not that it's not supposed to be happening it's happening due to causes and conditions way beyond our own personal control. And so whatever it is that we're aware of, we try to take refuge in, well, this is, this is just the lawful unfolding of cause and effect. Causes come together, this is the effect. Sometimes we can see it, we can see the causes that give rise to this effect, often we cannot. And so we're just left with an experience that comes. Comes to the body, comes to the mind, our heart feels a certain way. Well, this is the way it is. Can we take refuge in, well, it's not an accident. It's not easy. Sometimes we want to blame. Sometimes we want to say, hey, it's not my fault. Sometimes we want to say, it shouldn't be happening this way. At least, I'm not the only one that thinks that, is it? Am I? No, I, probably you have too. So when that thought comes to the mind or that feeling comes to the mind, we're not taking refuge in the Dharma. We're taking refuge in our own, you know, I want things my way and they should be my way, as if it could be my way. It's not. And so whatever it is you experience over the next three days, next eight days, well, this is the way it is. It is just the way it is. Can we be with that? Can we find a refuge in that? Understanding that you know it's not an accident. It's Not always easy. It's just not always easy. Why? Because we don't understand. We don't understand where it's all coming from. We don't understand our own minds. We don't understand our own bodies. We don't understand the interpersonal relationships, how we're getting jerked around and moved. We don't understand our own obsessions a lot. I mean a lot we do. I don't mean to say that we're all ignorant and we don't know anything. But we don't know everything. And so we get confused, we get bewildered, we want to blame, we want to you know make 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 it difficult to accept conditions in life. So taking refuge in the dharma is to kind of soften all that judgment and all that confusion and just say I may not understand it but this is the way it is right now. It's a great um, support for the challenges that we face in practice. To just say, all I know is it's not an accident. Let me see if I can be with it. The second meaning of the word Dharma is the teachings of the Buddha, as I mentioned. There are just, we live we live in this extraordinary day and age when there are just hundreds of spiritual traditions and practices available to us here in the West. Not just one set of teachings of the Buddha, but just dozens of many different traditions, many different lineages, many different teachers. And there's Advaita teachings, and there's the non-dual teachings, and there's Zen teachings. There's just a vast, 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 array of teachings available to us. The Buddha's teaching is there too. What is it out of all that? If you just walked into a library for the first time, or a bookstore, or wandered online to kind of like spiritual practice and took a look, where would you begin? It's just overwhelming. You don't know where to begin. I mean, you just you know you just pick pick a place, any place. What we have done, the three of us, is we've 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 done the survey of what's available. We've settled on a practice. We've undertaken that practice and realized to some degree the validity of it, and that's what we teach. We're not going to teach everything, but we teach what we know, and it's for the most part is from the teachings of the Buddha. We'll add some you know, psychological understanding or some other um, quotes and teachers that we find useful or helpful in particular situations to, to help understand and guide your practice. But for the most part, uh, it will be the teachings of the Buddha as we've heard them, as we practice them, as we realize them, and as we now uh, share them with you. There have been hundreds of thousands or millions of men and women that have heard these teachings every day for 2,500 years. The teachings of the Buddha have been confirmed over and over in every generation as being useful for freeing the heart from suffering through developing the understanding of suffering and the end of suffering. We'll do our best to kind of connect with you where you're at and, and uh, point out the, the teachings as we understand them. If what we say resonates with you, take it in, work with it, practice with it. If what we say doesn't resonate with you, don't struggle with it. Don't fight it. Don't be irritated by it. Just let it go. Whatever you hear that's beneficial, use it. Whatever you hear that you don't understand, forget it. The Dharma has something for everyone. If you listen long enough, you'll hear what's for you. The third meaning of the word Dharma is, as I mentioned, every moment's experience is a Dharma. That means that physical experience of pain and pleasure and tingling and pressure and heat and coolness and chills and they're all dharmas and so too with every mental experience the emotional side of anger fear jealousy envy joy happiness ecstasy curiosity they're all dharmas and so too with the whole cognitive field of thinking planning worrying wondering, perceiving, they're all dhammas. So when we take refuge in the dhamma, really what we're aspiring to do is take refuge in this moment's experience, whatever it is. Finding nothing wrong with it. What does it mean to take a refuge, to find a refuge someplace? It's to feel safe, to feel at ease, to feel that it's okay, and we feel in a right relationship with it. So we take refuge. A ship comes in from the stormy sea into port for refuge, a place of safety and calmness and stillness and being okay. We too are aspiring to find refuge in every experience we ever have. Not easy. Those that are pleasant, no problem. Those that are subtle, no problem. Those that are unpleasant, unfamiliar, intense, energetic, sometimes more difficult. So when we take refuge in the Dharma, we are reminding ourselves of our aspiration to be able to find a refuge in this experience. Maybe it's not happening right now. But we can still aspire to it. you know. And if not on day one, maybe on day two. If not on day two, maybe on day three. If not this retreat, maybe next retreat. If not this lifetime. If you keep practicing, you will find a refuge in every, every experience. Taking refuge in the Dharma is just a reminder. This is, this is the journey we're on. This journey of awakening to this is the way it is. And can I be at ease with that? The third refuge is taking refuge in the Sangha. Now the Sangha means the community of practitioners. The Sangha, the word Dhamma and Sangha are words from the Pali language. And the Pali language is the language that the teachings of the Buddha are recorded in. And the word Sangha means community. So in one sense, we could say that this community of uh, 80 or 90 yogis, three teachers, 30 or 40 staff, and uh, the the invisible support that all makes it happen is a sangha. We are a community of practicing together for this period of time. So when we take refuge in the sangha, it means, well, may I feel at home here. May I feel at ease here. May I feel safe here. We're aspiring to that. But it also can mean something much greater than that. We're not the only group gathering tonight to practice the Dharma for a weekend or eight days. There's probably another couple of dozen uh, or more retreats just like this around the states. And there's Uh, hundreds or thousands of monasteries uh, throughout the world doing the same thing as we are right now. Hearing and teaching of the Dharma um, practicing in some way uh, to to awaken. We're not alone in this. There have been and there continue to be just a lot of interest in awakening. And so we can take refuge in the, the larger Sangha and just know that We are just finding our groove, so to speak. We're just kind of fitting into our uh, very human uh, uh, aspiration to awaken. Just coming to know it for ourselves. And the third uh, meaning of the word uh, sangha, or the third community that it refers to is the community of Monks or nuns or, or lay men or women who have practiced what the Buddha taught and realized liberation for themselves. Those who have realized what the Buddha realized. This is a, a living tradition that has been uh, uh, existent since the time of the Buddha. But I want to tell a story to... Um, reveal how I came to understand this. I mentioned at the monastery where I stayed in Burma, uh, breakfast was served at 5.30. And in the winter in December, it's dark at 5.30. It's just barely becoming light. And in the second weekend of December, at the monastery I stayed, there was a festival to honor the monk, Mahasi Sayadaw who... Started that monastery and who started the tradition that we teach in, the Mahasi tradition. And during that, uh, it's four or five, six days, it's a festival, all of the elders of this tradition would come to Rangoon, the Rangoon Center. And there'd be 400 of the elder monks and two or three hundred of the eldest nuns who are the teachers. In this tradition, they would come to Rangoon, and they, you know, usually came with a whole entourage of people. And so there was, there was a lot of people. There was five, six, seven thousand people there. And then people in Rangoon would come and visit during the day. There were dharma talks broadcast over loudspeakers from four in the morning till ten at night every day. It was a tremendous. Uh, Upsurge of energy and excitement when this happened. Well, again with all of those uh, elders there. When the bell would ring at the top of the hill for breakfast, there's a big wood. They they hang this big wooden log, and they hit it with another wooden log, and it makes this really deep bong sound, and you'd hear it up up the hill, and they would this would be the call to announce that breakfast was ready. Now when monks <coughs> get together, they always do things in terms of seniority. So that the eldest monk, meaning the one who's been the monk the longest, does things first, followed by those who are next in line. Youngest monks go last. So the breakfast, the breakfast gong would ring and one of the monks who ran the meditation center would step out into the pathway and he would say, 65 wasa. That means any monk who's been a monk for 65 years, having done 65 rains retreats, could go to breakfast. That means they're at least 85 years old because you've got to be 20 years old to become a monk. So now at 20, they ordained, they've been a monk for 65 years, having done 65 rains retreats. They can go eat. And there'd be one or two that would kind of hobble out of the, the shadows of, and kind of get on the path and start walking up the hill. And then he'd say, 64 wasa, and there'd be another monk. And some of them would be supported, you know, they'd have to have hang on to somebody to walk, and some would have canes, and, you know, monks get old too and 63 wasa, and they'd line, you know, and they'd keep going down the line and the the eldest monks would just step out into the line and they would uh, head up the hill. When they get down to, uh, you know, uh, 30 wasas or just 20 wasas, when somebody's only 40 or 50 years old and been a monk for 20 or 30 years, they'd be a dozen at a time, stepping out into the pathway, following the elders, and when they get down to one wasa or two wasas, I could go. <laughs> so and when I step out in the line, I would get into the line and one wasa. I felt a little, you know, self-conscious, but all the lay people were behind me. So <laughs> <laughs> So I step out in the line and I was walking and as I'm walking up the hill, you know, you can see this long line of monks. Now the nuns were doing this over and another section of the monastery, going to their, to their dining hall. But I'd look and I'd see this long line of monks just going up the hill, around the corner, and it's kind of foggy up there, and out of sight behind the meditation hall into the dining room. And I had this thought. Somewhere at the head of that line, out of sight, is the Buddha. And that line extends back in history 2,500 years. It has never stopped. The Buddha practiced, understood the truth, let go and freed his mind, turned around and said to the five ascetics that he would practiced with, see if you can see things this way. If you can see things this way, you too will be free. They practiced, they saw, they freed their minds, and they all went their own ways, teaching just like that. And that teaching has been handed down like that, for 2,500 years. See if you can see things this way. If you can see things this way, you can free your heart, be free of suffering. And my teacher, Upandita, heard it from Mahasi Sayadaw. and my teacher offered it to me, and it seemed like, at that time, I was the last person in the line. But I'm not. Because during this retreat, I'm going to be offering you the same instruction that I heard. And if you can see it this way, you too can be free. That's the Sangha. We can take refuge in that Sangha that extends from the time of the Buddha to you. Because we're all in this together. We're all doing the same thing. We're all trying to see deeply into our hearts and to let go of the causes of suffering. So we can, t- we can trust that that's what we're doing here. We can take refuge in one another. We can take refuge in the, the history of those who have realized to some degree the freedom of mind that's possible. And we can take refuge in the Buddha who initiated this whole lineage of teaching of the freedom of mind as possible. Because of this, we begin each retreat taking the refuges as a reminder of what it is we're doing here as a way of uh, acknowledging or articulating our aspiration in being here. Some of you understand this is what you're doing. Some of you may be just being introduced to it now. Nevertheless, this is what you're doing. Aspiring to awaken. You can put it in your own language. You don't have to take my language. But in some ways, this is what we're doing. Aspiring to awaken Buddha to the truth, the Dharma, in a community of like minded folks, the Sangha. So, thank you for listening to the Dhamma. So, I think you all have this uh, handout sheet. On one side is the chanting of the loving kindness and on the other side is the refuges and precepts. So I spoke about the refuges and I just want to mention the precepts. There are five precepts that, the first five precepts we're going to ask you all to take. They're the basic community agreements that allow us to live in harmony with one another and to undertake a commitment not to harm any creature through killing, through stealing, through sexual misconduct, but in in the context of this retreat, through acting out uh, sexual energy, through speaking the truth, and to refrain from the use of intoxicants. These are the basic agreements that if we uh, make them among ourselves, will uh, allow us to create a safe container for each of us to be here, so that we know, know the things that we have are not gonna be taken, we're not going to be harmed. Uh, nobody's going to be hitting on us uh, with sexual energy. It's, it's just kind of... We can be by ourselves. We can really, within this group, we can be within our own minds, to see our own minds and our own energy and how we're dealing with the things that, that come up. There are here, you can see... Oh, I want to mention the fifth uh, precept is to uh, refrain or abstain from taking uh, intoxicants or drugs. Uh, This traditionally means recreational drugs or alcohol. Uh, Some of you uh, may be on prescription medication for one thing or another. That's okay. These drugs are okay. Uh, This is not the place nor the time to uh, try to go off your drugs, your prescription drugs. So uh, please continue to take any prescriptions that you have as prescribed by your doctor. Uh, and uh, whatever the, the, the symptoms that the drugs are treating, it's, it's necessary for you. Taking these prescription drugs does not mean you can't be aware. does not. You can be aware of what you can be aware of. And that's what's important. So please don't don't take this as an opportunity to uh, withdraw from any uh, prescription drugs. Now there's uh, three additional uh, precepts. Some of you uh, understand that the sixth, seventh, and eighth precept are just a further level of renunciation. They're not required. Uh, We don't uh, advocate them, we don't uh, encourage you. Uh, But if you want to, because some people, uh, certainly in Asia, Everyone takes the eight precepts when they do a retreat like this. But for many of you, it's not not, uh, necessary or not uh, a practice that you're aware of or even that you'd find helpful or supportive. But if you wish, the sixth precept is to refrain from eating solid food after the noontime meal. Meaning, after lunch, you don't eat solid food. You can have drinks. And there'll be something put out for those juice and things like that for those who want to take that. The seventh precept is to refrain from uh, singing, dancing, uh, listening to music, uh, entertainments, things like that. Uh, not usually a problem here. However, you might consider your cell phone, your text messaging, and all that as some form of uh, entertainment. kind of. We'd like you all to take that precept <laughs> of uh, just putting that aside. And the last one is to refrain from the use of high and luxurious beds and chairs, which really means uh, to uh, not just seek comfort. Uh, You might have a hard time finding a comfortable bed and chair here, but nevertheless, you can can undertake that precept if you like and, and find a way to Make it an act of renunciation for you. Maybe for you it's not sitting in the easy chairs here. Maybe it's not sitting in the, the room M101 that has easy chairs and couches. Maybe it's just uh, sitting and sleeping moderately. So if you wish, you can take those additional three precepts. Uh, but each morning we'll chant the five precepts. Okay. So just for the kitchen's benefit, are there any or who among you knows that they want to take the additional three precepts, the additional eight precepts for this retreat? One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, six. Uh, We will go, I will offer them tonight, but in the future, uh, each morning, I won't be off, we won't be chanting them, we'll just be chanting the five. I'll tell the kitchen that there's six. Anyone who wishes can take up those additional three precepts any day and just silently to themselves aspire to keep those precepts, and you can do that if you wish. It, it can be beneficial, uh, but we're not requiring it. So you'll see that on the left, the uh, refuges and Precepts is written in Pali. On the right, it's written in English. I will uh, chant one phrase or one line, and you can repeat after me. And we'll do that for tonight and then each morning, uh, just the the sitting before breakfast, at the beginning of that sitting. And after a couple of days, when you know it, we'll just chant in unison. So please repeat after me. Namo, Namo,
3: Namo. Tassa Bagawato, Tassa Bagawato, Arahato, Arahato, Sama, Sambudasa, Sama, Sambudasa, Namo, Namo, Tassa Bagawato, Tassa Bagawato, Arahato, Arahato, Sama, Sambudasa. Samma Sambo Namo Namo Tassa Bhagavato, Tassa Bhagavato, Arahato Arahato, Samma Sambo budang Samma Chami, budang Sarananga Chami. Damang Saranaga Chammi, Damang Saranaga Chammi, Sanghang Saranaga Chammi, Sanghang Saranaga Chammi, Dutiampi Budang Saranaga Chammi, Dutiampi Budang Saranaga Chammi. Duti ampi damang sarananga chami. Duti ampi damang sarananga chami. Duti ampi sangang sarananga chami. Duti sangang sarananga chami. Dati budang sarananga chami. Dhati ampi budang sarananga chami. Dhati ampi damang sarananga chami. Dhati damang sarananga chami. Dhati ampi sanggang sarananga chami. Dhati sanggang sarananga chami. Panati pata, panati pata. We ramani, we ramani. Sikabadang badang, sika badang. Hadina Adina dana, Hadina dana. We ramani, we ramani. Sikabadang badang, sika badang. Samadyami, Samadyami, Hapramacharya, Hapramacharya We Ramani, We Ramani Sikabadang, Sikabadan, Samadyami, Madhyami, Musawada, Musawada We Ramani, We Ramani, Sikabadang, Sikabadan, Samady, Samadami. Sura meraya Sura Maraya Madhapamadatana Madhapamadana We Ramani We Ramani Sikabadang Sika Badan And for those of you
2: who are taking the additional three
3: precepts Uikala Bojana. We we ramani, we ramani, sika badang, sika badang, natcha, natcha, gita, gita, wadita, wadita, we sukadasana, sukadasana, malaganda, malaganda, vilepana, vilepana, darana, darana, mandana. Mandana, we vibhusanatana, we we ramani, we ramani, Sika Sikabadang Sika badang, Samadi ami, Mahasayana, Mahasayana, we ramani, we ramani, Sika badang, Sika badang, and all of us irang me silang irang me silang maga palanana sa maga Pachayo Pachayo pacayo, pacayo
2: Again, welcome to the retreat. Now it's uh, late. <laughs> so let's, let's take some rest and uh, the wake up bell will ring tomorrow morning and uh, at uh, five o'clock. And we'll have a sitting in here at uh, 5.30. We'll chant the Refugees and Precepts again and uh, we'll move on with that practice.